I once heard someone describe the Holy Spirit as the weird uncle of the family. Maybe you have a weird uncle in your family. You have that, or maybe it's a weird aunt or aunt or auntie, whatever you choose, word you used to choose to use in your family. But you go to those family reunions, they have that family event, and you understand kind of everyone, and then there's that one that you're not sure what to do with. You're not sure, you don't really understand his jokes. You don't really understand what he's talking about or what he's doing. Or I had an uncle growing up that I never saw. They lived far away, and so we had family reunions, we had events, and we would joke about it. It was like, well, I know there's an Uncle Bud, but I don't know where he is because I've never seen him. I mean, I'd, saw, I'd seen pictures, but it was this kind of thing with, well, maybe we need to get a little cardboard cutout and put out for Uncle Bud when we have a family reunion. But the Holy Spirit can feel like that sometimes in the sense that we understand who God is. We understand God as a trinity, God in three persons existing eternally, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the fa- image of a father, we understand that. We understand what a father looks like and we understand that. The Son, Jesus, we have Gospels that tell the story of Him and that we can understand. And then we have the Spirit, which seems a little strange, a little less tangible, a little less secure, a little more difficult to understand. And, and we even use language sometimes in some of the older Bibles or even in the doxology, we sing the Holy Ghost. And we're, we're not sure what to do with that. And so that's why we're doing this series and maybe even made the series more confusing, this series called Echoes of the Spirit, because we're looking at the Spirit in the Old Testament, which again can sometimes feel like the other weird uncle of the family. Because, to be honest, there are parts of the Old Testament that are really, really hard to understand and confusing. In fact, part of the passage just before where we read today, there's some strange stuff going on where the people complain and all of a sudden God sends fire down and destroys them. And we said, well, what do we do with those things? And honestly, I don't always know. Sometimes it's hard to know what to do with some of those stories. It's hard to know to do some of those passages. But we are doing a series on Echoes of the Holy Spirit. And the goal of that series is to help us to begin to recognize, to begin to notice the work of the Spirit. And like that weird uncle where you're like, well, who is that? What, what are they doing over there? As we study and see who the Holy Spirit is, the goal is to say, oh, that's the Holy Spirit at work. Don't you What sort of things does the Holy Spirit do? And so we started a few weeks ago, we started with looking at the Holy Spirit in the opening pages of the book of Genesis, where the Spirit of God, the Ruach Elohim, is hovering over the waters, and then it brings life and it sustains life. And so we recognize one of the things the Spirit does is it brings and sustains life. And we talked about how we can see that out in the world around us as we see flowers and, and trees and animals, and those are places where the Spirit is giving life and sustaining life. And then we look at the Spirit last week about how the Spirit gives creativity and the ability to make and to do things and the story of how God empowered some artisans and craftsmen to make pieces of art and tents and poles and boxes to symbolize His presence in the world. And so all those things happen. And it's a reminder that we too are called to create and to make. And so I even challenged you last week to kind of begin a day and maybe ask, well, God, what, are you, what am I invited to make today? What will I make today? What do you want to make today along with me? And so this week we are reading a story from the book of Numbers. And we're looking at how the power of the Spirit works in the lives of people. And so to set the story up a little bit, the book of Numbers takes place. The people of God have 
been brought out of slavery in Egypt. They've been there for hundreds of years. They've been in slavery. And God brings them out of slavery through these acts of power and is leading them now to the land of promise, this land that he promised his ancestors hundreds of years before. And the purpose is they get to this land of promise. The goal is to get to this land of promise where they can serve as God's kingdom of priests to declare to the world what he's like and what he does. And that was the role of the priest was to come before God for the people and to come before the people for God. And so they were to live in this land and to live out a life and to say this is what God is like and to be a blessing to all the world. And so God has brought them to this mountain called Sinai and he's given them a set of rules, a way to live and say this is the way when you live this way, the world will know what I'm like. And so that's all part of what's going on. And then now in the book of Numbers, they've left the mountain, they've left this place called Sinai, and they're traveling towards this land of promise. And we pick up the story in chapter 11 of the book of Numbers of verse 4, and it says, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, so you have to imagine these, this entire nation, this crowd of people traveling through the desert. And what they become fixated on is the next meal. I understand that. Maybe you understand that. Where sometimes when you're traveling, I went out to Washington, D.C. this last weekend to pick up my oldest daughter, and and I was on the road, and sometimes it felt like all I was thinking about was like, what's the next place I'm going to stop and get something to eat? (laughs) And I was only on the road for a couple days, and I get the Israelites because they're like, we've been eating the same thing. And I'm like, I don't want burgers or chicken again. I really don't. I'm tired of fast food. And it had been like two days, a couple meals. But the Israelites had been there for months. Over a year before, they were sat at Mount Sinai for almost a year. And now they're moving through the desert. And they're sitting there and they're saying, oh, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. No cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlics. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna, this this bread from heaven, this stuff that God was sending down. So God's people have been slaves. Now they're on the desert and they say, oh, do you remember what it was like in Egypt? We had such good food there. We had cucumbers, we had leeks, we had onions, we had garlic, there were melons. Oh, there was fish. Never mind the fact that we had to work 18 hours a day. Never mind the fact that we didn't get paid for it. Never mind the fact that the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt at one point decided to take away all the straw and make our job harder. Never mind the fact that the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt at one time tried to kill all our sons by throwing them in the river. The food was really good. And I'm tired of this food in the desert. So now, imagine yourself as leader. You're Moses who has been called by God, You've been, you had been out tending your sheep, minding your own business, and God comes along and says, I've got a job for you. And he brings you and says, I'm going to use you to lead these people out of slavery and to bring them to the land of promise. And you're kind of reluctant about it, but you're not so sure. But you do it, and God does all these amazing things, and there's, there's plagues, and he splits a, um, a body of water. He splits the Red Sea in half so you can walk through. He, he comes and he leads you with a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud and he provides bread and at one point quail and he's feeding the people and stuff. And all day long, all you hear is wine, wine, wine. Oh, can't we go back to Egypt? 
And sometimes I have to imagine that Moses was like, yeah, just go back. I'm going to keep going. The rest of you, just go on back. Because I'm tired of it. And that's really what he does. Verse 10, Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. This wasn't just a few people. Because we know how it is. There are some organizations, some groups we're part of where there is that one or two people, that little group of people that like, they're never happy about anything. This wasn't just the whiners. This wasn't just the typical complainers. This wasn't the usual suspects. This was every single family. And so he comes to God and he says, God, why have you brought this trouble on me? What did I ever do to deserve this? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these? I mean, these aren't my kids. I can deal with my kids. He said, did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised? Moses isn't happy. He says, where can I get meat for all these people? He's like, okay, I can't feed all these people. What am I going to do, God? They keep wailing and say, give, give us meat to eat. He says, I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. That is who Moses keeps talking about here. I can't do all this. This is too hard. It's too much for me. Am I a nurse? Am I supposed to carry all these people? Moses seems to have forgotten one of the first lessons he learned. Because when God called him the first time to bring the people of Israel out of slavery, Moses said, I can't do that. And God said, I'm going to be with you. And he gives Moses a staff, and then Moses is still like, well, I'm not a very good talker. And so he gives him his brother Aaron. And then all the way along, Moses isn't the one who sends the plagues. Moses isn't the one who parts the water. Moses isn't the one who says, but all of a sudden Moses is like, oh, it's all up to me now, isn't it? And then he says, finally, if this is how you are going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I found favor in your eyes, and do not let me ruin me, if he's like, God, if you just love me, you'd kill me right now. In other words, God, you're, you're, you're punishing me right now. If you really, really cared about me, God, you wouldn't make me suffer like this. And here we begin to see how incredibly gracious God is. How incredibly patient God is because I'm not sure if I had picked Moses for a leader and this is how he came to me and I'd helped him all the way along, I would be the space. God says to Moses, okay, I got a plan. Here's what we're going to do. I want you to bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there and I will take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you and put it on them. But you notice what happens here. He says, I will come down and speak with you and I will take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you and put it on them. God is reminding Moses that the power of the Spirit was already on him. But you see, what Moses had done was he had forgotten. He had begun to think it was all up to him. He had begun to think it was purely his responsibility to make things happen. He had begun to rely on his own abilities, his own talents, his own power. And I think this story is in part a reminder to us because that's how we do it sometimes. We're promised by God that when we pledge our life to Jesus, when we give our life to Jesus, the Spirit comes on us. But then we get going along in life and we forget that the Spirit is there with us. 
We forget Jesus' promise that he will be with us always to the end of the day. We forget all that God is doing and we begin to think, it's all up to me. And, and I get with Moses that maybe you haven't had an entire nation wailing because they're eating the same food every day. But have you ever had one of those days where you've woke it up and you just feel like everyone around you wants something from you? Or there's just all these tasks that you're being called to do that are just too much for you to do on your own. And you can't do it. And you think, oh, I just can't do it. And this story reminds us in part saying, no, you can't do it. But with God's help, you can. And it happens in so many facets of the Lord. It may be simply in you're trying to grow in your spiritual life and you keep thinking, oh, if I, if I go to this conference, I've been going to all the conferences, I've been reading my Bible every day, I've been doing all these things, but I'm not growing. And all of a sudden you're thinking like, it's all about the things I do. You're trying to lead a Bible study. You're trying to parent your children or your grandchildren. You're trying to work out this relationship and you keep focusing on all the things you can do. And you say, God, this is just too much for me. And God says, yeah, it is too much for you. But it's not too much for me. And I think that's what God is getting at with, in the spirit here is this reminder that's saying, don't rely on yourself, Moses. Rely on the power of the Spirit. And this is a reminder for us that it's so easy to get caught up in doing the things on our own power, on our own abilities. Especially when things go well the first few times. Because what can sometimes happen is, in the Christian life, we get going and when we're young and we're fervent, like, oh, I need to rely on God and I'm trusting in God and I'm doing this. And then things start to go well. And then you think, well, I can do that. I got this all on my own now. And then the people start wailing and crying. The problems start pouring in and all of a sudden we realize we can't do this on our own. We just don't have the ability to do it on our own. And then one of the things that so... That's the first thing we think about is like the power of the Spirit reminds us of our own ability. I mean, that we don't have the ability on our own. But then notice it says that he says, um, I will come down and speak with you there and I'll take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people. And so God comes down and there's this whole story where he prepares these people and these elders that are going on. And later in the story, there's this interesting thing. So he goes through this thing and it says, Moses went out and told the people that the Lord had said he brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. The Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with them and he took some of the power of the spirit that was on Moses and put it on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested on them, they prophesied but did not do so again. However, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders but did not go to the tent. So you got a picture. So there's 70 elders, 70 people who've been kind of Normally, that's their function is to help guide and lead the people of Israel. And God says, I'm going to put the Spirit on them too to help you out. And so get the 70 elders. But two of these elders don't come to the tent of meeting. They don't come to the place where God has been meeting with Moses. They stay outside in the camp, this Eldad and Medad. Maybe they didn't get the message. Maybe they were tired that night. I don't, they didn't go... But what's interesting is they were listening among the elders, yet the Spirit also rested on them and they prophesied in the camp. And then we get this story. It says, a young man ran and told Moses, hey, Eldad and Medad are prophesying out in the camp. 
Joshua, Joshua says, Moses, stop them. So these guys didn't show up to the meeting. They didn't come to the church meeting. They didn't come to the Sunday school class. They didn't, but God is still doing some stuff with them. And Joshua says, hey, Moses, they didn't do it the right way. They didn't follow the rules. You need to stop them. But Moses replies, and he says, are you jealous for my sake? In other words, he's kind of getting at Joshua and saying, I'm not sure you're really concerned about me. I think something else is going on. He says, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And I think as we see what Moses is saying here, there's two things that he's getting at. One is that it's okay to celebrate the gifts of the spirit in other people. That God works not just through one or two people, but God works through all kinds of people and different people. And sometimes people get jealous. They, get in, they, get, they worry because God seems to be using that person over there. And I don't know what's going on. And what Moses is saying is we need to celebrate these other people. Celebrate what God is doing in them too. I don't know, have you ever done that? Where you see somebody else leading a Bible study and you're showing up at that Bible study and you're sitting there alone in your room? Thinking, Why didn't nobody come? You're trying to start a ministry and you're doing this ministry and this other church is doing ministry and they've got all kinds of people and they're telling all these stories about oh, all these people are coming to Jesus and they've got this great thing going on and you're thinking, I'm doing the same thing and nothing's happening. And God is reminding us here that the Spirit works where the Spirit chooses to work. And the picture of Moses is to say, I'm going to celebrate what the other people are doing. You know, the Spirit's working there, and it's okay, because if the Spirit wants to work over there, that's the Spirit's choice. And so the ability of the Spirit isn't limited by particular people, but can go everywhere. And the other thing that we see here is the Spirit isn't always constrained by our systems and our programs. I mean, it seems that we see both here. I mean, there's the systems and programs, there's the elders already in place, and the Spirit works through the elders, but then there's these other two guys who are kind of outside the box. And sometimes we have a temptation to put the Spirit of God into a box to say, this is how the Spirit works. I've seen this a lot over time where people, oftentimes they go to a conference or a workshop. They go to camp. They go to some big conference and there's hundreds or there's thousands of people singing and, and they experience the work about it. Or maybe they go to a particular kind of spiritual retreat or they read a particular book or they hear a particular song and the Spirit moves inside of them during the course of that song, that book, that retreat, that conference. And then what begins to happen is they begin to say, this is how the Spirit works. Therefore, if you want to grow in the Spirit, you need to participate in this weekend. If you want to grow in the Spirit, you need to go and read this Bible. If you want to participate in the Spirit, you need to do this study. If you want to grow in the Spirit, you should go to this conference. Don't go to that conference. Don't do that thing. No, you don't want to go read that book. This book is the one. That's how the Spirit works. The story says, yeah, better not do that with the Spirit. The Spirit works in different ways, and we need to be willing to celebrate and recognize that sometimes the Spirit works through our normal patterns. Sometimes the Spirit of God works through that normal pattern of reading our Bible and of praying and of attending church with other people and fellowshipping. And that's most often the way that God works. But sometimes God surprises us 
and works in a different way. The Spirit of God says, I'm not constrained by your systems. You think that in order for people to grow, you need to do it this way. You think that in order for in order people to come to Jesus, this is how you do it. This is the formula to share the gospel with them. This is the formula to grow in the Spirit. This is the formula to lead people in worship so that they engage God. And God is saying, not always. Don't get stuck in the formula. And Moses is saying, sometimes God works outside of those systems. The Spirit of God reminds us of our own inability. That it's not by our power, but it's by the power of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is not constrained to work just within one or two people, but works in all kinds of people, and we celebrate that in others. The Spirit of God is not constrained by one way of working, but the Spirit of God works in many different ways. And so our call, church, is to celebrate the power of the Spirit to rest and trust in the power of the Spirit for our own ministry, whatever that ministry is. Our call is to when we see other people living and growing and thriving in the Spirit, is to celebrate with that and not to put it down or not to question it. Our call is to say we want the Spirit to work and we're open to the Spirit working in whatever way the Spirit chooses to work. And if the Spirit chooses to work outside my predefined, preconceived, boxed-in notion of the Spirit, the, the way the Spirit works, it's okay. Because that's what the Spirit of God does. And so may we this week trust in the Spirit. Trust not in our own abilities when the crowds are screaming, whether the crowd is in outside or the voices inside our head. May we trust in the power of the Spirit and not in our own ability. May we, when we see others being blessed by the Spirit, celebrate with them. And may we look and see the Spirit of work in so many different places. Let your eyes be open this week to see where the Spirit is at work because the Spirit is always at work bringing change and bringing His power. Amen.